In the last episode, we talked about when a supply of services is connected with Australia, with the indirect tax zone. And in previous episodes, we briefly covered the other elements of the taxable supply. The last thing to look at is whether the supply is GST-free or input taxed, because if it is, it won't be a taxable supply. And today I thought we could focus on the export of services, because the export of services is GST-free. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 141 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. In the last episode, Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne discussed when and how the supply of a service is connected with the indirect tax zone. In this episode, Simon will explain when and how such a supply might be GST-free as an export. We've gone through all the other elements of something as a taxable supply and now we can focus on is it GST not a taxable supply because it's GST-free because it's an export. Just like there was for the export of goods in uh, 38-185, there's 38-190 looks at the export of services and both have a table that outlines different ways in which an export of services can be GST-free. So I thought we'd just go through that table. So the first item is a supply that's connected with property outside of Australia and uses the term indirect tax zone, but I'll just say Australia. And so it says that a supply that is directly connected with goods or real property situated outside the indirect tax zone is a GST-free export. The relevant ruling talks about five different ways that a supply can be directly connected with such goods or real property. It can change or affect the specific property in a physical way. Repair could be an example of that. There could be a physical interaction of the goods or real property but without changing the goods or real property. I think uh, transport of goods, obviously, not real property, because you can't transport real property, but a transport of goods potentially be GST-free. Then there's the supply establishes the quantity, size, other physical attributes, or the value of the goods or real property. So perhaps stock-taking would be an example of that. If a firm is doing an audit and they stock-take a warehouse that's outside of Australia, then that would be a, a service that they're performing that's directly connected with goods that are situated outside of Australia. Could also qualify if the supply affects or its purpose is to affect or protect the nature or value, including indemnity against loss, of the goods or real property. And that makes me think of insurance. So if insurer is insuring goods or real property that is outside of Australia, that could qualify under the, this first item. And then the final category is the supply effects or is proposed to affect the ownership of the goods or, or the real property, including any interest in or right in over goods or real property. Maybe a lease of the goods or real property would qualify under that category. 
But then the, the one last thing to keep in mind is that if the supply won't be GST-free, despite all the things that we've gone through, if it's a supply of a right or option to acquire something, the supply of which would be connected with the indirect tax zone and would not be GST-free. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but the kind of situation where that rule could apply would be the example that they give in the, in the tax ruling is where an Australian-based hotel chain provides rights to accommodation in Australian hotels to a New Zealand travel agency. Something like that would be excluded under that particular exclusion. It can get a bit confusing because we're talking about things that have a direct connection with goods or real property, but it's the service that we're looking at. Is the service directly connected with goods or real property that's situated outside the tax zone? An issue I went through a long time ago was a merger and acquisition when a company buys a company overseas and then the accountants do some work, the lawyers do some work, the merchant bankers do some work. To what extent is that GST-free? Provision of advice typically wouldn't be. For the provision of advice by an accountant or a lawyer, it could fall under one of the other items to the table that will discuss next, but it probably wouldn't fall under item one. So let's say the ruling gives an example, I think it comes from the ruling, of an accountant that's giving advice in relation to the CGT implications of selling property overseas. And the conclusion is that that's not directly connected with that property overseas. There needs to be a very close link or association, conclusion was, well, that advice is connected with the vendor's tax position rather than the property itself. So I don't think you describe would qualify under item one to the table, but maybe it qualifies under item two or three. So item two says that a supply that's made to a non-resident who is not in Australia when the thing supply is done. So non-resident, that's just take the income tax definition. When the thing supplied is done, that's something that we talked about in the last episode in the context of when is a service connected with Australia. And remember, we talked about different rules for services or for advice or for rights. So just go back to those same rules. And then you have to consider, well, once you've determined the thing is done and when is it done under those rules and you've concluded that there is supplies made to a non-resident you have to ask yourself well were they in australia when the supply was done and that's pretty straightforward when you're making a supply to an individual where are they physically located for a company there's an added layer of complication because of course the company is not a natural person and so the rules are that a non-resident company is in australia if it carries on business or activities in Australia at or through a fixed or definite place of its own for a sufficiently substantial period of time or through an agent at a fixed or definite place for a sufficiently substantial period of time. Now, that might be not always easy for the supplier to know. And so the ATO says that if a company is registered with ASIC, that's a strong indicator that the company is in Australia. 
and could potentially conclude otherwise, but it's prima facie, it's good evidence that they are in Australia for purposes of, of this item number two to the table. And then the last thing to mention is that the company, or more likely the individual, practically, has to be in Australia in relation to the supplies. You're making a supply to a non-resident individual who just happens to be on holiday in Australia at the time, and you've got no contact with them in relation to the supply whilst they're on holiday. Well, that is not going to change anything because they're not in Australia in relation to the supply. There's some further conditions. The supply has to be neither a supply of work physically performed on goods situated in the indirect tax zone when the work is done, for example, a repair or a cleaning or something like that, but transport wouldn't qualify, nor a supply directly connected with real property situated in the indirect tax zone, or alternatively, the non-resident acquires the thing in carrying on the non-resident's enterprise but is not registered or required to be registered. There are some further conditions and exceptions, but we'll perhaps focus on the main part of the requirements. Although one exception that would make the supply not GST-free, I think is worth covering. So even if it's a supply made to a non-resident outside of Australia when the thing supplied is done, it won't be GST-free if the supply is made to the non-resident under an agreement with that non-resident, the supply is actually provided to somebody who's in Australia. So let's say you had a situation where parents are in Singapore, for example, and their child is son or daughter goes to university in Australia. And the university, the education supplier, issues the invoice to the parents. The parents are the ones that are the non-resident made to that non-resident, but it's actually the son or daughter in Australia that's the providee of the supply. Yeah, that makes sense. But isn't education GST-free? Yes, you've. <laughs> I've given a bad example. No, no, but we can slightly tweak it. So, for example... Maybe it's a tutoring service that isn't GST-free because yes. it doesn't meet the requirements of the GST-free education. That's a good example, yeah. yes. And then if the, yeah. if, if the bill is sent to the parents in Hong Kong, then it would still be subject to GST because the supply is made in Australia. Yeah, and that's something that actually it's an exemption or an exclusion from GST-free status, I should say, that we deal with sometimes, A&A does, in that some of our clients get referred to us from another firm overseas and for whatever reason they prefer the arrangement that we invoice that other firm for the work rather than the Australian company. And so that's another example of we're invoicing a non-resident but because we're supplying services to a company or individual in Australia, it won't be GST-free. That makes sense. Otherwise, you could avoid GST all the time by invoicing somebody else. Yeah, it's helpful to always go back whenever you can to the the rationale behind any rule. And you know, remember that with GST, it's all about trying to tax consumption in Australia. And in scenarios that we talked about, really the consumption is in Australia because the son or daughter that's receiving the tutoring, for example, well, they're in Australia when they're receiving that tutoring. So then there's, there's item three, and that talks about 
supplies that are used or enjoyed outside of Australia, outside of the indirect tax zone. Now, one key difference between item three and item two is that in item two, it says that the supply is made to a non-resident, but for item three purposes, it it doesn't have to be made to a non-resident. It just says a supply is made to a recipient who is not in the indirect tax zone when the thing supplied is done. So that's part one of the requirements. Then it says the effective use or enjoyment of which takes place outside of the indirect tax zone. So you have to ask yourself, well, when does the uh, effective use or enjoyment of the supply take place and where was the recipient when they were using or enjoying the supply? Obviously, it depends entirely on what the supply is and particular facts of the case, but the ATO sets out a four-step process to guide you in, in making that determination. So they say you should first identify the exact nature of what is being supplied. Then you should identify the entity to which the supply is provided. That's not necessarily the same as the entity to which the supply was made, like we talked about earlier. So what's important is who is the the individual or company or whatever kind of entity that's not necessarily the one that's paying for the, the supply, but the one that is using or enjoying it. Then you find out what's the timing of when the supply is done. And then finally, once you've identified that time, you work out, well, were they in or outside of the indirect tax zone at that time? Is the GST exemption for exports a point of high contention? Do you see a lot of conflict with the ATO around that? Or is that an area that is not as litigious as, you know, residency rules, for example? Uh, no, certainly not as litigious as residency rules. And not no, not overly litigious. As far as I'm aware, I, you know, when I'm seeing updates, emails being sent out about these were the cases over the last week or, or month, it's rare for me to see a case looking at GST on exports. So it seems like it's a rather settled area of the law. Item four of the table deals with rights and when a supply of rights will be GST-free and says that to qualify, it will qualify if there's a supply that is made in relation to rights if, A, the rights are for use outside of the indirect tax zone or, B, the supply is to an entity that is not an Australian resident and is outside the indirect tax zone when the thing supplied is done. The commissioner says that a supply that's of a service that's directly connected with rights, so for example, you might have a legal service that's preparation of a contract for sale of copyright or enforcement of intellectual property rights or applying to register a trademark, things like that. Those sorts of supplies would potentially qualify for GST-free status under this item four to the table. Then item five, which is the the final item in the table, it says that 
that looks at an export of services used to repair, etc., imported goods. So the rule is a supply that is constituted by the repair, renovation, modification, or treatment of goods from outside the indirect tax zone whose destination is outside the indirect tax zone. Now, that's actually one that I came across in practice quite recently. We have a client that a non-resident foreign supplier has supplied them with, there's a powder uh, and a a liquid, and and this is used for uh, medical purposes. And what our client does in Australia is basically they capsulate the powder and the liquid in a way that the powder and the liquid remain separate within the capsule. The dentist, in fact, can put it in one of those spinning machines. I can't remember what they're called. It spins and it combines the powder and the liquid at that point in time and, and then it gets given to the patient. But once our client sort of does this capsulation process, it then gets shipped overseas to the final consumer or to the doctor who then gives it to the patient overseas. We're dealing with goods that are from outside of Australia. Their destination is outside of Australia. And the question arose, is what our client is doing repairing, renovating, modifying, or treating the goods? And the ATO's position is that the goods that depart Australia need to be essentially the same goods that were brought into Australia. And if you go too far, you're essentially manufacturing new goods if the goods are changed too much. So obviously some talk about renovation or modification. Obviously some degree of change is permitted. But if you go too far, then they say, well, really what you're doing is sort of manufacturing new goods from those those inputs, those goods that were brought in from outside of Australia. And this is actually an ongoing issue where I'm looking at is to what extent are changes permitted where we can still qualify for GST free status under item five. And so what did the ATO decide in this case? Did the ATO decide that it was a new product? Well, actually, this is still a very fresh issue and and it might be that we decide that private ruling application may be worthwhile if it's if it's a very borderline case. So you haven't approached the ATO yet. It's just a question that has come onto your desk and you're still in the, exactly still right. in the fact-gathering stage of the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. They're the five items to the table. And as I mentioned, the, the table is in subsection 1 to 38-190 and subsections 2, 3, 4, etc. go on to extend or, or limit, provide further requirements. But And we did cover some of those, for example, the student in Australia that has the tutoring. But I think the rest are perhaps not necessary to cover in in detail today, I think we've gone through the most important points. To go through two scenarios that would affect an accountant directly, if they advise somebody overseas on their tax situation in Australia, then would that be subject to GST? Item two of the table jumps out to me in that situation where you say, if they haven't moved to Australia yet, then almost certainly they're a non-resident. 
they're engaging you when they're still overseas, well, they're not in Australia when the thing supplied is done. When you're writing the advice or calling them to advise them, they're overseas and then they're a non-resident. I would say that it would be GST-free. Okay. So while the client is still overseas, it's GST-free. The moment they arrive in Australia and the advice continues, then it is subject to GST. Then the exemption no longer applies. Yeah, that's right. Under item two and three, they really need to be outside of Australia. When the thing supplied is done, we know when the advice is prepared, they need to be outside of Australia at that point in time. Although there is another exclusion that's perhaps worth mentioning that it says that supply that in items two to four of the table is not GST-free if the acquisition of the supply relates whether directly or indirectly or wholly or partly to the making of a supply of real property situated in the indirect tax zone that would be wholly or partly input taxed under subdivision 40-B or 40-C. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but the kind practically, if the supply of a service that wouldn't qualify for GST-free status would be one that relates to the supply of property that would be input tax. So, for example, if a real estate agent was making a supply that relates to renting out or, or the sale of a property for residential purposes, then that would not be, be GST-free. I think that's an example of when that particular exclusion in subsection 2A would apply. When you're trying to determine if a export of service is GST-free, you go to section 38-190 and you look at the table in subsection 1. That table outlines five different items where a supplier will be GST-free. There are then some further subsections that will provide additional requirements, but the first point to look at is the five items in 38-190 which is a supply connected with property outside the indirect tax zone, a supply to a non-resident outside the indirect tax zone, a supply used or enjoyed outside the indirect tax zone, a supply of rights, and finally, a export of services used to repair, etc., imported goods. So if you can fit under one of those five items in the table, then the supplier will be GST-free. Welcome back. So this is the end of our mini-series about the export of goods and services. In the next episode, episode 142, Mark Sinclair of Mentor Education will talk about RG146. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaas for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.